All right, welcome back. We are going to read some more part three of Fahrenheit 451. Um, we finished off yesterday where Montag was tearing out the book, tearing out the book in front of Faber, um, and Faber was freaking out and telling, no, 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 I finally find my mind, I'll teach you. Um, for my online class kids um, and hybrid kids, um, quick reminder on the questions. It asks what three things Faber said were the things missing from our society. Um, it was quality of information, which we decided in class that we are missing because we have a lot of fake news out there. And so we don't really know what to trust as what is quality and what's not. So this was something that we do believe Bradbury did predict. Um, part two was that we have time to think about that information. So we've lost our leisure time and we have plenty of off hours, but in those off hours, we're not necessarily thinking about information. We're entertaining ourselves. We're playing games. We're watching Netflix. We're getting on TikTok. We're not truly spending time digesting knowledge and talking about it. And so I do think this is another thing um, that Bradbury predicted. The third thing we weren't quite sure. We decided, it's number three, it said um, that was the ability to act on our actions based on what we've learned from the, from the first two problems. Um, so, you know, we decided in class, like, if we have something we get bothered by, or if we have something that we um, can't quite grasp, uh, if we get some knowledge and stuff and it, it makes us bothered, um, we can't act on it. And we decided we kind of can in our society, like we can post things about it, we could, you know, protest, we could get a petition going. But if we actually, like, physically tried to act on things, usually it gets stopped. Like, if you put a post up, um, a lot of times it gets taken down or gets censored. Um, if you do protest, you know, protests get canceled and stopped, especially if they get out of, out, out of the peaceful realm. Um, if we do sign a petition, a lot of times they don't go through. So we don't really have, I think he kind of got this one right, but not 100%. Like we can, we, can, we still have freedom of speech in this day and age, but do we really have complete freedom of speech? I think he's kind of close on that one. So those were, uh, so Faber and him had this really interesting conversation and we are there on page 88 now after he finally has agreed to teach him. Um, they also came up with an interesting plan. They, and it was kind of a joke at first, but they've come up with this plan to, um, make copies of books, put them in firemen's houses, and frame the firemen for what they, and get them to burn themselves. It's kind of like taking drugs and putting them in police officers' houses and then turning the police officers in and getting them caught and busted. So that's what it would be like. All right, so page 88, um, here we go, at the bottom. Montag put the book down. He began to unwad the crumpled paper and flatten it out as the old man watched tiredly. Faber shook his head as if he were waking up. Montag, have you any money? Some, four or five hundred dollars. Why? Bring it. I know a man who printed our college paper half century ago. That was the year I came to class at the start of the new semester and found out only one student to sign up for drama and Ascalius to O'Neill. You see? How like a beautiful statue of ice it was melting in the sun. I remember the newspapers dying like huge moths. No one wanted them back. No one missed them. And the government, seeing how adv advantageous it was to have people reading only about passionate lips and the first in the stomach, circled the situation with your fire eaters. So Montag, there's this unemployed printer. We'll start, we might start a few books and wait on the war to break the pattern and give us the push we need. A few bombs and the families in the walls of all the houses, like Harlequin rats, will shut up. And the silence our stage whisper might carry. So he's saying basically that there's this old printer guy that he used to know um, 
And if they can find him, maybe they can print a few books at least until the war comes. They, they really, he really is, Faber is really banking on this war happening. Um, and that's why the bombers are all flying over every, uh, on all these, these pages here. So, okay. They both stood looking at the book on the table. I've tried to remember, said Montag, but hell, it's gone when I turn my head. God, how I want something to say to the captain. He's read enough, so he has all the answers, or seems to have. His voice is like butter. I'm afraid he'll talk me back to the way I was, only a week ago pumping kerosene hose. I thought, God, what fun. The old man nodded. Those who don't build must burn. It's as old as history and juvenile delinquents. So that's what I am? <laughs> There's some of it in all of us. Montag moved toward the front door. Can you help me in any way tonight with the fire captain? I need an umbrella to keep off the rain. I'm so damned afraid I'll drown if he gets me again. The old man said nothing, but glanced once more nervously at his bedroom. Montag caught the glance. Well? The old man took a deep breath, held it, and let it out. He took another, eyes closed, his mouth tight, and exhaled at last, and then at last exhaled. Montag. The old man turned at last and said, Come along. I would actually have to have let you walk right out of my house. <laughs> I'm a coward, old, cowardly old fool. So he was not going to help him with, with baby, but now he's going to. Faber opened the bedroom door and let Montag into a small chamber where stood a table upon which a number of metal tools lay among a welter of microscopic wire hairs, tiny coils, bobbins, and crystals. What's this? asked Montag. Proof of my terrible cowardice. I've lived alone so many years, throwing images on walls with my imagination. Fiddling with electronics, radio transmission has been my hobby. My cowardice is of such a passion, completing, complementing the revolutionary spirit that was in its shadow. I was forced to design this. He picked up a small green metal object, no larger than a 22 bullet. I paid for all this. How? Playing the stock market, of course. The last refuge in the world for the dangerous intellectual out of a job. Well, I played the market and built all this, and I've waited. <clears throat> I've waited, trembling, half a lifetime, for someone to speak to me. I dared speak to no one. That day in the park when we sat together, I knew someday that you might drop by with, our, with fire or friendship. It was hard to guess. I've had this little item ready for months, but I almost let you go. I'm that afraid. Well, it looks like a seashell radio. So basically what this guy has is an earbud. It looks like an earbud. And something more. It listens. If you put it in your ear, Montag, I can sit comfortably home, warning my frightened bone, warming my frightened bones, and hear and analyze the fireman's world, find its weaknesses without danger. I'm the queen bee safe in the hive. You will be the drone, the traveling ear. Eventually I could put out ears, put out the ears into all parts of the city with the various men, listening and evaluating. If the drones die, I'm still safe at home, tending my fright with a maximum of comfort and a minimum of chance. See how safe I play it? How contemptible I am? So basically this earbud is a two-way earbud. He can talk to it and Montag can hear and Montag can talk and Faber can hear. So they can, it's a two-way radio, kind of like a walkie-talkie. Montag placed the green bullet in his ear. The odd old man inserted a similar object in his own ear and moved his lips. Montag, the voice was in Montag's head. I hear you. The old man laughed. You're coming over fine, too, Faber whispered, but the voice in Montag's head was clear. Okay, so this is another thing that, that uh, Ray Bradbury predicted, another technology that did not have in the 50s that they do now. Go to the firehouse when it's time. I'll be with you. Let, let's listen to Captain Beatty together. He could be one of us. God knows. Maybe, maybe he's like them. Maybe he likes books. I'll give you things to say. We'll give him a good show. Do you hate me for this electronic cowardice of mine? Here I am sending you out into the night while I stay behind the lines with my damned ears listening to, for you to get your head chopped off. We all do what we do, said Montag. He put the Bible in the old man's hand. Here, 
I'll chance turning in a substitute. Tomorrow, I'll see the unemployed printer. Yes, that much I can do. Good night, Professor. Not good night. I'll be with you the rest of the night. A vinegar gnat tickling your ear when you need me. But good night and good luck anyway. The door opened and shut. Montag was in the dark street looking at the world. You could feel the war getting ready in the sky that night. The way clouds moved aside and came back and the way stars looked, a million of them swimming behind, between the clouds like enemy disks and the feeling that the sky might fall upon the city and turn to into chalk dust and the moon might go up in red fire. That was how the night felt. This is foreshadowing on Ray Bradbury's part. He is giving you a hint that things are not so great. Things feel uneasy. Kind of like when you walk outside before a big storm and you can feel the storm coming. That's the feeling that Montag has got right now. Montag walked from the subway with the money in his pocket. He had visited the bank, which was open all night, every night, with robot tellers and attendants. Again, we didn't have ATMs in the 1950s. Here we have ro ATM, robot, robot tellers, ATM machines. Bradbury's crazy. And he walked as he was listening, and he walked, he was listening to the seashell radio in one ear. We have mobilized a million men. Quick victory is ours if the war comes. Music flooded over the voice quickly and it was gone. Ten million men mobilized, Faber's voice whispered in his ear. But say one million, is ha it's happier. Faber? Yes. I'm not thinking. I'm just doing like I'm told, like always. You said get the money, and I got it. I didn't really think of it myself. When do I start working things out on my own? You've started already by saying what you just said. You'll have to take me on faith. I took the others on faith. Yes, and look where we're headed. You'll have to travel blind for a while. Here's my arm to hold on to. I don't want to change sides and just be told what to do. There's no reason to change if I do that. You're wise already. Montag felt his feet moving him on the sidewalk toward his house. Keep talking. Would you like me to read? I'll read so you can remember. I go to bed only five hours a night. Nothing to do. So if you like, I'll read you to sleep nights. They say you retain knowledge even when you're sleeping, if someone whispers in your ear. Yes. We learned that with Fahrenheit, with uh, Flower Shroud we learned that's not really 100% true, but okay. Here, far away across town, in the night, the faintest whisper of a turn page. The Book of Job. The moon rose in the sky as Montag walked, his lips moving just a trifle. He was eating a light supper at nine in the evening when the front door cried out in the hall and Mildred ran from the parlor like a native fleeing an eruption of Vesuvius, the, the eruption of Vesuvius, which is a mountain. Mrs. Phelps and Mrs. Bowles came through the front door and vanished into the volcano's mouth with martinis in their hands. So here's the guest she's been waiting for. Montag stopped eating. They were like a monstrous crystal chandelier tinkling a thousand chimes. He saw their Cheshire cat smiles burning through the walls of the house and now they were screaming at each other above the din. Montag found himself at the parlor door with his food still in his mouth. Doesn't everyone look nice? Nice. You look fine, Millie. Fine. Everyone looks swell. Swell. Montag stood watching them. Patience with whispered Faber. I shouldn't be here, whispered Montag, almost himself. I should be on my way back to you with the money. Tomorrow's time enough. Careful. Isn't the show wonderful, cried Mildred. Wonderful. On one wall, a woman smiled and drank orange juice simultaneously. How does she do both at once? Thought Montag insanely. In the other walls, an x-ray of the same woman revealed the contracting journey of the refreshing beverage on its way to her delighted stomach. Abruptly, the room took off on a rocket flight into the clouds. It plunged into a lime green sea where blue fish ate red and yellow fish. A minute later, three white cartoon clowns chopped off each other's limbs. 
the company of immersed incoming tides of laughter. Two minutes more and the room whipped out of town to the jet cars, wildly circling an arena, bashing and backing up and bashing into each other again. Montag saw a number of bodies flying to the air. Okay, this sounds very violent, but we have TV like this. I mean, we have cartoons where they kill each other and blow, you know, like look at the Looney Tunes. They were so violent. And we have, you know, we watch NASCAR where they have giant car wrecks and things like that. So this is, it sounds crazy, but it's TV like we have. Millie, did you see that? I saw it. I saw it. Montag reached inside the parlor wall and pulled the main switch. He turns off the TV. The images drained away as if the water had been let from a gigantic crystal bowl of hysterical fish. The three women turned slowly and looked with unconcealed irritation and then dislike at Montag. So when do you suppose the war will start, he said. I notice your husbands aren't here tonight. Oh, they come and go and come and go, said Mrs. Phelps. In again, out again, Finnegan, the army called Pete yesterday. He'll be back next week. The army said so. Quick war, 48 hours, they said, and everyone home. That's what the army said, quick war. Pete was called yesterday and they that he'd be back next week, quick. All right, so there is a war happening because they're calling the military up. For, and they said, they said, oh, yeah, yeah, they'll be back in a week. It's not going to be a big, long war. But there is a war happening. The three women fidgeted and looked nervously at the empty mud-colored walls. I'm not worried, said Mrs. Phelps. I'll let Pete do all the worrying, she giggled. I'll let old Pete do all the worrying, not me. I'm not worried. Yes, said Millie. Let old Pete do the worrying. It's always someone else's husband that dies, they say. Oh, I've heard that, too. I've never known any dead man killed in the war. Killed jumping off buildings? Yes, like Gloria's husband last week. But from wars? Pfft, no. Not from wars, said Mrs. Phillips. Anyway, Pete and I always said, no tears, nothing like that. It's our third marriage each, and we're independent. Be independent, we always said. He said, if I get killed off, you just go right ahead and don't cry, but get married again and don't think of me. Does any marriage in this society have any love in it? Um, <laughs> it's crazy. Um... They all say that bad things happen to other people, but not to them. That's how we all kind of live our lives. I think like we all assume that bad things are going to happen to everyone else and not us, but it does happen to us sometimes. That reminds me, said Mildred, did you see that Clara Dove five-minute romance last night in your wall? Well, it was about this woman who... Montag said nothing, but stood looking at the women's faces as he had once looked at the faces of saints in the strange church he had entered when he was a child. The faces of those enameled creatures might meant nothing to him. So we talked to them and stood in that church for a long time, trying to be of that religion, trying to know what religion was, trying to get enough of the raw incense and special dust of the place into his lungs and thus into his blood to feel touched and concerned by the meaning of the colorful men and the women with their porcelain eyes and blood ruby lips. But there was nothing, nothing. It was a stroll through another store and his currency strange and unusable there and his passion cold even when he touched the wood and plaster and clay. So it was now in his own parlor, with these women twisting in their chairs under his gaze, lighting cigarettes, blowing smoke, touching their sun-fired hair, and examining their blazing fingernails, as if they had caught fire from his look. Their faces grew haunted with silence. They leaned forward at the sound of Montag swallowing his final bite of food. They listened to his feverish breathing. The three empty walls of the room were like the pale brows of sleeping giants now, empty of dreams. Montag felt that if you touched these three staring brows, you would feel a fine salt sweat on your fingertips. The perspiration gathered with the silence and the sub-audible sub tremblings around and about, and the women who were burning with tension. Any moment, they might hiss a long sputtering hiss and explode. Montag moved his lips. Let's talk. The women jerked and stared. How are your children, Mrs. Phelps, he asked. 
You know I haven't any. No one in his right mind, the good Lord knows, would have children, said Mrs. Phelps, not quite sure why she was angry with this man. I wouldn't say that, said Mrs. Bowles. I have had two children by cesarean section. No use going through all that agony for a baby. <laughs> the world must reproduce, you know. The race must go on. Besides, they sometimes look just like you, and, and that's nice. Two cesareans turn the trick. Yes, sir. Oh, my doctor said cesareans aren't necessary. You've got the hips for it. Everything's normal. But I insisted. Cesareans or not, children are ruinous. You're out of your mind, said Mrs. Phelps. Oh, I plunk the children in schools nine days out of ten. I put up with them when, they're home, when they come home three days a month. It's not bad at all. You heave them into the parlor and turn on the switch. It's like washing clothes. Stuff laundry in and slam the lid, Mrs. Bowles tittered. They'd just as soon kick, it, kick as kiss me. Thank God I can kick back. The women showed their tongues, laughing. Mildred sat a moment, and then, seeing that Montag was still in the doorway, clapped her hands. Let's talk politics to please Guy. Sounds fine, said Mrs. Bowles. I voted last election, same as everyone, and I laid it on the line for President Noble. I think he's one of the nicest-looking men ever to become president. What matters to her? Not his what he stands for, not what he what his uh, policies are. The fact that he's a nice-looking president. Oh, but the man they ran against him. <laughs> he wasn't much, was he? Kind of small and homely, and he didn't shave too close or comb his hair very well. What possessed the outs to run him? You just don't go running a little short man like that against a tall man. Besides, he mumbled. Half the time I couldn't hear a word he said, and the words I did hear I didn't understand. Oh, he was fat, too, and he didn't dress to hide it. No wonder the landslide was for Winston Noble. Even their names helped. Compare Winston Noble to Hubert Hogue for ten seconds and you can almost figure the results. <laughs> Damn it, cried Montag. What do you know about Hogue and Noble? Why, they were right in the parlor wall, not six months ago. One was always picking his nose. It drove me wild. Well, Mr. Montag, said Mrs. Phelps, do you want us to vote for a man like that? Mildred beamed. You just run away from the door guy and don't make us nervous. But Montag was gone and back in a moment with a book in his hands. Okay, Montag, hold on. <laughs> so these women drove him so crazy talking about the way, that, I mean, they don't even care about politics. They just care about the way the guys look. Um, and he, they're so superficial and shallow. He's like, that's it. Here come the books. Guy! Damn it all, damn it all, damn it. What have you got there? <gasps> Isn't that a book? I thought that all special training these days was done by film, Mrs. Phelps blinked. You're reading up on fireman theory? Theory? Hell, said poetry. It's, I mean, said Montag, it's poetry. Montag. Let's favor. A whisper. Leave me alone, Montag felt himself turning a great circling roar and buzz and hum. Montag, hold on, don't. Did you hear him? Did you hear these monsters talking about monsters? Oh, God, the way they jabber about people and their own children and themselves. And the way they talk about their husbands and the way they talk about war. Damn it, I stand here and I can't believe it. I didn't say a single word about any war, I'll have you know, said Mrs. Phelps. As far as, as for poetry, I hate it, said Mrs. Bowles. Have you heard any? Montag, Abra's voice scraped away at him. You ruin everything. Shut up, you fool. All three women were on their feet. Sit down, they sat. I'm going home, quavered Mrs. Bowles. Montag, Montag, please, in the name of God, what are you up to, pleaded Faber. Why don't you just read us one of those poems from your little book, Mrs. Phelps nodded. I think that'd be very interesting. 
that's not right, wailed Mrs. Bowles. We can't do that. Well, look at Mr. Montag. He wants to. I know he does. And if we listen nice, Mr. Montag will be happy. And then maybe we can go on and do something else. She glanced nervously at the long emptiness of the walls closing them, enclosing them. Montag, you go through with this and I'll cut off. I'll leave. The beetle jabbed his ear. What good is this? What do you prove? I'll scare the hell out of him, that's what. Scare the living daylights out. Mildred looked at the empty air. Now, Guy, just who are you talking to? A silver needle pierced his brain. Montag, listen. Only one way out. Play it as a joke. Cover up, pretend you aren't mad at all. Then walk to your wall incinerator and throw the book in. Mildred had already anticipated this in a quavery voice. Ladies, once a year, every fireman's allowed to bring one book home from the old days to show his family how silly it all was. How nervous that sort of thing can make you. How crazy. Guy's surprised tonight is to read you one sample to show how mixed up things were. So none of us will ever have to bother your old, our, our little old heads about that junk again. Isn't that right, darling? He crushed the book in his fist. Say yes. His mouth moved like Faber's. Yes. Mildred snatched the book with a laugh. Here, read this one. No, I take it back. Here's the real funny one you read aloud, the, read aloud today. Ladies, you won't understand a word. It goes umpty tumpty ump. Go ahead, guy. That page, dear. He looked at this uh, the open page. A fly stirred its wings softly in its ear. In his ear. Read. What's the title, dear? Dover Beach. His mouth was numb. Now read in a nice clear voice and go slow. The room was blazing hot. He was all fire. He was all coldness. They sat in the middle of an empty desert with three chairs and him standing, swaying, and him waiting for Mrs. Phelps to stop straightening her dress him and Mrs. Bowles to take her fingers away from her hair. Then he began to read in a low, stumbling voice that grew firmer as he progressed from line to line, and his voice went out across the desert into the whiteness, and around these three sitting women, they are in the great hot emptiness. The sea of faith was once, too, at the full and round earth's shore, lay like the folds of a bright girdled furled. But now I only hear its melancholy, long-withdrawing roar retreating to the breath of the night wind down the vast edges drear of and naked shingles of the world. The chairs creaked. Under the three women, Montag finished out. Ah, love, let us be true to one another. For the world which seems to lie before us, like a land of dreams, so various, so beautiful, so new, hath really neither joy, nor love, nor light, nor certitude, nor peace, nor love, nor help for pain. And we are here on us a darkling plain, swept with confused alarms of struggle and flight, where ignorant armies clash by night. Mrs. Phelps was crying. Okay, I gotta stop there because it's been 22 minutes and we need to stop here. I was really supposed to stop at page 96, but I'm gonna make it to 100. I'll change the uh, reading. That just means tomorrow's reading will be shorter. All right, so Montag has caused quite a big stir here. Mildred, however, kind of saved the day a little bit, possibly, which you guys have been asking me in class anyway. Um, if Mildred ever has any redeeming qualities. Well, she did here, at least for a little bit. Maybe she saved him, or maybe she was just trying to save himself. I'm not sure. You guys decide. All right, we'll read some more tomorrow. Love you guys. Don't forget to work on your slides.